Ruth is a Pinterest site reliability engineer, and before that, she was a software engineer at Google, and before that, she got rejected from medical school three times. Yeah. So, you ready? Uh-huh. Okay. So, welcome to another episode of Attila TV. Our third guest for the third episode is the wonderful Ruth Grace Wong. Hi. Ruth is a Pinterest site reliability engineer, and before that, she was a software engineer at Google. And before that, she got rejected from medical school three times. Uh, but anyway, so that, that's in the past now. And in the free time when she's not working as a site reliability engineer at Pinterest, she's, uh, she's really interested in making things. And not just software things either, but like hardware tangible actual products. Like she's done stuff like the Girl Bucket. She did the Leave Me Alone sweater. And she did a bunch of other stuff, which I'll put in the link below for the video. Um, so without further ado, Ruth, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And and also I want and, the, and I also wanted to add that the way I actually met um, Ruth and I was thinking for this before the video started was that back in I think second or third year of university, while she was working at Google, she actually took her time out to like interview a bunch of people. I think it was the mock interview test prep for people who wanted to work at Google. So she she's also really dedicated to helping people out a lot too. So I really appreciate that, and she's gonna help a lot of you guys out today. So I was actually a student back then, so I did an internship at Google in 2015, um, and then Duncan and I, Duncan actually interviewed with me, and we're both students at Western, mm -hmm. um, and then we, we, when we came back to Western, we decided to start an interview prep program, and so that's when we were mock interviewing students, because we wanted other students to have the opportunity that we did, and we figured that um, a lot of the like opportunity barrier was just like not knowing how to prep for the interview. Mm -hmm. So the question I always like to start out with is, let's go back to Ruth at 16. How do you describe yourself in <laughs> high school? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I was a really weird kid. <laughs> um, the implication is that you're not weird now. I, I'm still <laughs> weird, but I'm more comfortable with it, I think. <laughs> good answer, good answer. Um, yeah, I don't know. I like to read. Um, I so. In 10th grade, I took a civics class, and part of, or, or I don't know what class it was, but part of the class was you have to um, decide what career you want, and then you have to budget um, your life around what salary you would make with that career. And so I had picked computer scientists then, but for some reason when I got to grade 12, um, I had changed to wanting to be a doctor. And then after I realized that I was not getting into medical school, I like went back to being wanting to be a computer scientist. So you said for some reason, looking back now, what was that for some reason? That you switched from computer science to being a doc wanting to be a doctor? Um I I don't know. So I um I I liked computer science. I was taking um, the classes in high school. I went to Earl Haig. Um, and the my ninth grade tech teacher noticed that I was like liked it and was decent at it. And so he he told the tenth grade teacher um, and the 10th grade teacher gave me a test and let me skip the 10th grade one and take the 11th grade one in 10th grade. And so I was feeling really good about, like, I guess how well I was doing there. Um, and then and then I think getting closer to university, um, my dad's a doctor. And mm. so he's, and he's, he's like, very, very happy. I think most of the doctors I meet are, like, really happy, really fulfilled, and really successful. And so he, he wanted me to be a doctor, and I, like, you know, everyone wants to help people, so... Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Um, okay, so, yeah, so, and then so grade 12, com or grade 11, grade 12 comes around, it's time to start thinking about universities to apply to. 
So like, where are you at in terms of like extracurricular, grade-wise? What schools are you looking at? Things like that. Um, my grades are good in grade 12, but like not that good in grade 9, 10. Um, I, yeah, I, I didn't have a very strong application. I even, I took the SATs thinking I would apply to some schools in the States. And then like when I started the applications, I was like, I have nothing to write in this essay that's like meaningful. <laughs> so I didn't apply to anything in the States. Um, I was doing, I was doing leadership council at Earl Hague. Mm -hmm. um, I think I think it doesn't it doesn't matter what extracurriculars you do if, as long as you do something and you you like find it cool or think it's fun. Mm -hmm. And then so you're in grade twelve now. You're applying to schools. What schools did you apply to? Uh, and what programs? So my boyfriend and I both applied to McMaster Health Sciences. Both didn't get in. Yep. So we both went to Western <laughs> for biomedical science. Um, yeah, we actually got married last year. So. Oh, congratulations! Wow, congrats. That was that would have been like nine, nine years ago. Wait, so you guys have no you've known each other since grade like high school? Yeah, we started dating in the twelfth grade. Wow! Wow! Congrats, then. Really, congrats. Thanks. <laughs> okay. So where were we? Yes. So when we last left off, we were talking about you applied to McMaster Health Science. You and your boyfriend, now husband, you got rejected, which by the way is like a common theme for people I've interviewed on this episode. Which, uh, I don't know what that says, but there you go. So anyway, so you applied to, you're so now you're in Western Medical Science. And of course, like most people in the medical science program, you're thinking about going to medical school. So like walk us through like where you're at at that time, preparing for the MCAT, think you're going to go to medical school, etc. Oh yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a struggle. It's so hard to get into medical school. I wrote the MCAT twice. Um, I, uh, in the end, I, I think I, those three years I applied, I always interviewed at at least one school, but I never got like mm -hmm. an actual offer, so. <laughs> um, so here's, so one of the thing I really like about your story is the fact that you can really speak to people who want to go into medical school and people who want to go into tech. So first of all, so you applied to the med, med you, you wrote your MCAT how many times? Twice. Okay, twice. Okay. Yeah. And then, um. My so writing score was really bad. Yeah. That's why I had to rewrite it. <laughs> so people, because another thing I know is very common is that a lot of people who study medical science and they can't get into medical school, you know, they need, they need to go do a master's or something if they want to get a job with their degree. Do you have any advice for, for pardon me? That's what I did. I got a master's. Yeah, we'll get to that. Um, do, you have any, do you have any advice for people who are aspiring doctors who, or who think they want to go to medical school? Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of people going to medical school, it's like important to have stuff on your resume and to be doing extracurriculars. I encourage people to focus on extracurriculars that they actually like um, and have passion for. Um, and then that way, like, even if you don't get into medical school, you won't feel like it's for nothing and you'll still be having like things that you've developed and learned and people you've met that you can be happy with. Mm -hmm. Do you have no any, so re regarding just the, you know, like the medical school, aspire medical school part phase of your life, do you have anything you would have done differently? Mm, no, no, I think it's just like hard to know. I mean, like, so for example, I'll give you an example. So I know people, like, whenever I ask people this question, they always say, you know, no regrets. If I hadn't done this, I wouldn't have ended up here, blah, blah, blah. But I think, like, realistically speaking, for example, let's say, for example, like, um, again, like, obviously you don't know, like, maybe you getting rejected was for a reason. But for example, like, if you had known, for example, that it'd be hard to get a job with the medical science, maybe if you had done kinesiology instead, that even if you don't get into medical school, you can do a degree with the kinesiology degree. Do you ever think about things, like, in that perspective? I wouldn't have wanted to do that, I think. Yeah, fair enough. So I, I think that the, the best thing that I got out of it is, like, I, I did some extracurriculars that were pretty mm -hmm. meaningful, so, like, I, um, I, I volunteered at the hospice, close to St. Joseph's Hospice, mm. close to Western, um, and that was, 
uh, that was like really good life perspective. In what sense? The, just like the the people who work there are are so compassionate and so empathetic. It's like, it's definitely something to strive for and something that you wouldn't see elsewhere. And then just like having the experience of um, taking care of other people is, um, it takes you out of your own problems a bit. Like, mm-hmm. you're like, okay, whatever stuff that I'm sad about or stressed about, like not that big of a deal in the long run. Mm. And then it gives you that like centering and perspective. That's nice. So at that point, you so you're, you didn't get into medical school, you're, you're feeling a bit probably against dejected. Like, how were you feeling at, like, how were you feeling at that point? And, like, what were you sort of thinking, okay, what am I going to do next? So, after I finished my undergraduate degree, I, um, I did Google Summer of Code. Um, and I, so at the time I was, at the beginning of my university, I had worked at a mouse lab, so doing wet lab work. And then, um, in my, for my thesis project, I had worked at a bioinformatics lab. Mm-hmm. Um, getting into more computational work, and also my my degree was specifically an honor specialization in computational biochemistry. So I was like, okay, if I don't get into medical school, at least it has the word like computer in the name. So mm-hmm. maybe I could do that. Um, and so I applied to Google Summer of Code. There was a lab there, the um, I believe it was the Bader Lab from U of T, um, that had that had a open source project called MedSavant, um, and they, I think some of the doctors at SickKids Hospital use it because a lot of the, the kids um, have genetic disorders, um, and so they can use the software to figure out uh, what kind of, um, what do they call it, what kind of like single point mutations the kids might have, and then what uh, protein pathways, and metab- metabolic pathways uh, that can affect. So I signed up for that lab, and because it was like something that, that I had um, some experience in, even though it was my first like official paid programming gig, um, I was able to get into there. And yeah, that was my first programming job. And then the summer afterwards, um, I was referred for actual Google. So I interned there in the middle of my master's degree. And then the year after that, I graduated my master's and ended up at Pinterest. Why did you decide to do a master's degree? Um, it, it was, I was like, so, at the end of my fourth year, I knew that I had to get to medical medical school for the second time, and so <laughs> it was like, all right, I have to I have to do something where if I don't get to medical school, it'll still work out. And so during my master's degree, I um, built up my computer science skills. Yeah. Mm. So the the master's degree was programming because it was bioinformatics. Mm-hmm. So it was only a little bit of wet lab work doing PCRs and mm-hmm. DNA, but most of it was programming. Mm-hmm. Um, and then during the master's, I was able to intern at Google and do Google Summer of Code. Awesome. So. Do you have any advice for people for people who want to go work in um or like you know let's just continue going through your story and we'll go back and do advice later on. So at this point, so you've interned at Google a couple of times and then you get a sign back offer to go full time. Is that is that so you got a sign back offer to go back full time after that? Um so after my my internship, I did the exit interviews. I I like totally bombed one of them. Um, so I didn't get a regular full-time offer. I got a engineer residency full-time offer. And so that's a program that they do that's one year long. Um, I think you do three months of coursework and then you do two projects, one on one team and then one on another team. And then I think like 97% of people who finish the program get a full-time offer afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, it's meant for people who um, like don't have such a strong CS background. Uh, for example, I know Andrew Simpson who did Mechatronics at Western is in it. Uh, I guess he might be almost done right now. Um, no, I think he converted to full-time early because he's working on he's working on a really cool hardware there. Um, so, 
I got that offer, and then because I had gotten the Pinterest offer, which was for a real full-time job, I didn't need the Google Engineer residency, which was kind of like a transition job. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took the Pinterest one instead. Mm-hmm. And then how did you, how did they? So that means while you were at Google, you're still like like looking at other opportunities, I guess. So how did the Pinterest opportunity come about, and how did you prepare for that interview? Um, I was I was following the like the algorithm, I guess, where you just apply to as many companies as you can in, in September, mm-hmm. and then you see what shakes out, and mm-hmm. then you choose. Um, so I, I I forget how I, oh, I know how I got in touch with Pinterest. I, I went to um, Major League Hacking's Hack the Planet. This was in, I think this was in 2015? So during my Google internship, I went to a hackathon. It was the Major League Hacking um, like season finale. Uh, it was in Mountain View. It was in the Computer History Museum, which was really cool. Um, and uh, at that hackathon, there was the um, Andreessen Horowitz mm-hmm. talent agency looking for students to put in their talent pool that they would refer to the startups that they invest in. Um, and so one of the Major League Hacking staff uh, referred me for that. And so they got me in touch with Pinterest, which is one of their portfolio companies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I, I also went to Grace Hopper. Um, mm-hmm. that was funded by Google after my internship. Mm-hmm. They paid for me to go to Grace Hopper, and then I was able to get a few more interviews that way mm-hmm. as well. I did on-sites at Facebook, Uber, Dropbox, and Pinterest. And then did you get offers to any of those companies, or was it only Pinterest? I got an offer for Uber, but I didn't end up taking it. So why did you decide on Pinterest over Uber? You can, if, if it's money, you can say money. Yeah, <laughs> definitely money. Definitely money. Uber <laughs> said they didn't negotiate. And I was like, okay. And it was the offers less. Also, during the interview, um, like one of the questions that they asked was like, can you print out the multiplication tables? Um, and then I did it in Python. It was really easy. And um, the guy was like, oh, you finished really quickly. I wonder if this question is online now. And I was like, no, it's kind of just an easy question in my head. <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't have a great impression of, of that. Uh, and then um, talking more to the managers, they were like, oh, we want you to help us set up uh, a data center like with servers. And I was like, I don't know how to do that. Like, What's the mentorship like? And they were like, oh, the, the woman that interviewed you will be your mentor. And I was like, has she set up a data center before? And they were like, no, but she has lots of other experience. And I was like, well, I don't, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> And so I, I was like a little bit, I guess, sketched out by the job. <laughs> mm. All right, so that's your work life. And then so in, so I, I know on your LinkedIn it says, um, site reliability engineer by day, maker by night. So tell us more about the maker part of your life. Oh, I should update it to say manufacturing engineer. So I, um, I haven't told my manager at Pinterest this yet, but I'll, if he Googles me, he'll find out. But I have a part-time job outside of Pinterest as a manufacturing engineer. I'm working for my friend's company. Um, they make their flagship product is EcoCube, so E C O Q U B E, and they make hydroponic and aquaponic desktop kits. So they're like little gardens that water themselves. Um, and so I've gotten to this. This has been like a process for me. So when I when I came here, um, here being San Francisco in um, 2016, summer of 2016, after finishing my masters, I went to a conference called Effective Altruism Global, and they had an event there called Hamming Circles where you figure out what the biggest problem in your life is, and then the other people in the small group of four or five people spend 15 minutes just helping you wow. figure out your life or whatever it is. That, that is amazing. Yeah, so I, like, reflecting on it, I was like, 
yeah, I like the reason I really like this position at Pinterest is because it's software at scale. And um, I feel like if I'm going to make an outsized impact, there's only a few fields that really um, allow for that. So I think software at scale is one of them. Um, but, like what we're doing at Pinterest is like there's tens of thousands of of uh, tens of thousands of servers, uh, but there's only you know one or two dozen site reliability engineers, and so you basically have to automate and build systems to manage everything. So um, that's software at scale. Uh, other fields that you can make an impact, I think, are shipping logistics. So like how stuff moves around the world. Like people say that inequality in the world is is not a matter of like not having enough. It's a matter of distribution. Mm -hmm. um, and then another thing is manufacturing. So actually getting things made, um, hardware, objects, made um, at scale. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, knowing that I really like like making things with my hands in my spare time, I wanted to move into that in my spare time. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I've been doing: site reliability engineer by day, and then like manufacturing stuff at night. Nice. Um, so off camera, off air, I guess you could say, you were saying that you started, so I was asking you about things you've done in the past, like the leave me alone sweater, the grill box, and other mm -hmm. stuff. And you said that you stopped it because they all fail and then you have to like start making money. So tell us about some of the products you made in the past and like what you learned from both your successes and your failures. Yeah, uh, so let's see. I, I decided I wanted to do that in summer of 2016. Uh, the first project that I wanted to try my hand at manufacturing was the grow bucket. Um, this was based off space buckets. Um, it's a it's a very popular subreddit uh, where there's a community of people who grow mostly marijuana, but they you can grow anything. Some people grow like cherry tomatoes, hot peppers, that kind of thing, um, inside five gallon buckets. So you install lights, fan, maybe a carbon filter, <laughs> mm -hmm. and then um, and then you grow inside. Uh, so I wanted to make a kit that was affordable, um, kind of a DIY kit. I was using buckets that I got from local bakeries, so they were food safe. I just had to clean them out. Um, I, I sourced, I, I bought enough stuff for, I think, 100 kits, or maybe like 50 kits. Um, and then I, because I was buying like the light bulbs and the extension cords and the fans and all that stuff in bulk, mm -hmm. um, I was able to get my cost down to $30 and I wanted to sell the kit for $50. Mm -hmm. So I went to Maker Faire, but I think that the problem with this is that people don't want to buy something that like is very DIY, that's like using buckets that have been used by bakeries before. Mm -hmm. um, like people would prefer kind of a more finished product. Mm -hmm. um, so I sold like mm, one or two and that was it. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> I had to like recycle all these buckets. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So, from talking to you and looking at a lot of stuff you've been working on, you definitely have. Um, bless you, by the way. You have. You definitely have a very like entrepreneurial drive to you. So I'm, I'm thinking like, how do you sort of like look at the decisions between working for a very established company like a Google or Pinterest versus working for a startup versus doing your own thing? Yeah, so I kind of have the best of both worlds because I have a day job that like pays the bills, um, and then for for all of my projects, I always talk with my now husband figure out like okay what's what's the budget for this project mm -hmm. um, and then if it reaches that budget and like nothing is successful yet then like okay so I put it away mm -hmm. um, yeah so after I think after the after the grow bucks project I um, I had a new strategy where I wanted to do some writing mm -hmm. related to manufacturing and then that way uh, I was able to get uh, access to factories uh, to write about them and also be able to talk to people who were doing manufacturing and who were good at it and interview them and like learn from them. Mm -hmm. um, so I was writing for supply chain hardware. Um, 
on medium mm-hmm. and getting paid for that and then i had i i kind of just like make stuff for fun all the time and then i try to be really good about documenting it mm. and putting it online and so the leave me alone sweater was one of those projects where i i like made it for fun it was just a joke um it's a cowl neck sweater that you can unroll the top and then zip it up over your head so that people leave you alone um and it it went viral so i put it up on instructables and it went viral um, and I ended up doing a collaboration with Beta Brand, so they they do kind of like a Kickstarter for clothes. Um, yeah, so we sold 350 sweaters through there, mm-hmm. and I made I think I made about two thousand dollars. And I was like, okay, this like people are really into this idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm gonna do a Kickstarter. I want to make I want to like actually do manufacturing, like production manufacturing with the factory. I want to make 300 sweaters. Mm-hmm. I'm in San Francisco. Um, there's there's actually quite a few. Not quite, not quite a few. There's like a handful of sewing factories in the city, um, and the Kickstarter didn't work out. So, yeah. <laughs> By the way, I think the sun is like really bright on that side of your face. You want to like. Yeah. Do you want yeah. it less bright or more bright? <laughs> Maybe if you go, to, if you go to the, go to this side. This side. Yeah, that's a bit better. Yeah. Cool. Okay, so what we're we talking about? Yeah, so, not yeah, another thing I keep on going back to is that I know a lot of. A lot of, I would say grade 12 students, but like this is almost like a lifelong problem. Are trying to figure out, you know, what do they want to do with their lives? What should they study? All that kind of stuff. And like listening to your story, I do believe everything happens for a reason. But I can't help wondering, like, you know, obviously now you ended up, you know, working as a software engineer. Going back to grade 12, do you think like it would have made more sense for you to apply to computer science? And like more specifically, like if someone's in that position right now where they're trying to say, okay, should I go the medical school route? Should I go the CS route? You know, how do I decide? Like, what would you, what, would you, what advice would you give on that? Like looking back on your own life too. I think it's not that important to have a comprehensive life strategy. <laughs> I think it's okay to figure it out as you go along, and the important thing is not to like um, to like worry too much about whether or not you're doing the right thing, but just to try some things, mm-hmm. try lots of different things, and then like something's gonna stick, mm-hmm. and then you'll be like, oh okay, this is what I love doing, mm-hmm. um, and this is what I'm good at. Um, yeah. Okay, so like looking at your story, for example. Like, I'm not qualified for any of the jobs I take. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I, the team that I interned on at Google was, say, reliability engineering team, but, like, I, I, they, I you know, I, I was on the persistent disk team. I came in the first day, and my mentor was like, do you know what a file system is? And I was like, you know, I, like, think I do, but I don't think I understand it the way you do. <laughs> <laughs> like, I hadn't taken a computer architecture course at all. Wow. Um, yeah, and, like, that was such a struggle. I was like, it was in C plus mm-hmm. plus. Like even at the end of my internship, I was googling like, what's the difference between the asterisks and the ampersand in mm. C plus plus. Um, I'm, I'm actually really glad you brought that up. There's a statistic out there about something about how I think I'm gonna make up the numbers, but you'll get the gen- general idea. Where it's like 80, 87% of guys will apply for a job that they're not qualified for, but a lot of times women may not apply for a job unless you know they call, they meet all the different qualifications. So do you have yeah, any? If, so the way I heard it was the average guy will apply to a job that they're 75% qualified for, whereas an average woman will only apply to jobs that they're 100% qualified mm-hmm. for. So do you want to yeah. maybe speak to that, especially working in the tech space, about maybe like, especially for women or any females watching this, about like, sort of like, you know, just taking the risk and putting yourself out there? Yeah, yeah. Like, just apply. Don't be afraid. And like, you can even be smart about it. So you don't have to just like throw your resume into the void. You can find somebody who knows somebody who works at the company you're interested in be like hey can I like I really love your company um, I want to talk to you about it um, and then and then you can get some information about what kind of candidate they're looking for um, and whether you can apply now because you fit something that they're looking for or whether you want to spend some time 
furthering a particular skill um, or doing a particular job before you apply to your dream job. Mm -hmm. um, so I really encourage you to just just try. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think another question I would have is, if someone's trying to decide, okay, should I like? I mean, I'm, I'm you know, just starting out my career. Or I'm looking for a change right now. Should I go apply for like a you know a big company like a Google or Facebook where I can have more imp like the company itself has more impact, but I ha might have a m smaller role, or should I go apply for a smaller company? What do you say like you know the trade-offs between working for a bigger company versus working for a smaller company? So my husband and I actually have opposite opinions on this. So for me, uh, working at a big company was great because they have a lot of infrastructure around mentorship, and 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 you also get to work with a lot of senior people. And so I was like, I that's what I want to do. I feel like. I don't have a CS degree. I feel really out of place here. I like in my master's, I was doing scripting in R, which is not software engineering. Um, and so I, I really wanted that. I do feel like, uh, based on the other senior people on my team, like as I progress in my career, it'll be good for me to work at smaller and less operationally mature uh, companies to get kind of my chops. Mm -hmm. um, but then uh, the way my husband ended up doing it is he. Um, he he had a React textbook and he read it and he like made a project in React uh, like on the side and then he got hired by Focus Twenty One, uh, which is a startup in Waterloo. Uh, and after that, he got hired at Top Hat, which is a startup mm -hmm. in Toronto. Uh, and then after that, he got this job at Cruise. He's trying to come out to join me because I was in San Francisco for a year. Mm -hmm. um, so now he's at Cruise Automation, and so he kind of went the opposite way where he's going from like really small company to like slightly bigger to bigger. Um, and the way he did that is because he was uh, he made himself good at a technology that was hot. So React is like a web development framework that mm -hmm. is really popular right now and that a lot of companies are hiring for. So you can go either way. Mm -hmm. So I personally don't like to, um, the thing you said about doing a technology that's hot. So um, a lot of people kind of ask, you know, like, you know, what should I study? Should I, like, what's like the hot thing right now? And I'm sort of thinking, you know, just sort of pick like what you're most interested in because again, like a lot of most software engineering roles, like if you're like a Python expert and your company hires you Ruby on Rails, like they'll still hire you if you're good at learning things fast. Um, if, 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 but you know, people will ask this question, so I want to give them an answer. If people sort of think, yeah. what should I study? Like what's like the hot new thing or like, you know, makes the most money? What advice would you give on that? Talk to people who are working in the industry, figure out what your dream job is, um, and then figure out what you need to get there and then mm -hmm. just work towards that. So I know for example, site reliability engineer, DevOps, big, big data, um, Docker, so if someone wanted to work as a site reliability engineer, for example, what are some hot things you think that they should be looking at? Um, it's difficult because for site reliability engineering at scale, you can't really do it as a side project. Mm -hmm. Like sure, you can like spin up a Docker container and get some familiarity there, but that's not gonna be the same. Actually, you know what, oh, sorry, scrap that question, forget about that question. Okay. The better question is if someone wants to work as a software engineer as a, I don't know if I already asked this, but whatever, we'll do, we'll do it live. Sure. If someone wants to work for a software engineer as a tech company, what should they be doing right now? It depends on the company. So if it's a, if it's a large company, Google, Facebook, Amazon, Pinterest, whatever. Um, so there's, a, there's an application timeline, and, and basically there's an algorithm to get in. So you, you apply, you put in your application in August or September, you study your ass off for the interview, the coding interview. Um, you read the Bible, which is cracking the coding interview <laughs> in this context. Uh, and you you just spend a lot of time just like grinding on questions. It, it can take a, I think it will take a few months to get good mm -hmm. um, of like studying really hard and like forsaking some of your grades because it's mm -hmm. more important. Um, and then yeah, and then you go for the coding interview. E I think even when I was at my best, I would fail one out of three. 
site, like on site, basically. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, study hard, apply wide. What about in terms of networking? Any advice on people for how to network? Yeah, so I guess. Um, also, sorry. Hackathons, yep. meetups. Uh, it's it's super super important to talk to people who are actually working in the industry, in the kind of company that you would want to work for. Mm -hmm. um, just because there's so much like insider information, right? Like mm -hmm. this, it's like applying, studying really hard for the coding interview. Like students don't know that they need to do that, and they don't know they don't know what to expect in terms of like how long it's going to take to get good. Mm -hmm. So it's really easy to like start and then be like, oh, I'm not cut out for this. Mm -hmm. I'm just bad at this, but like, no, it takes everybody a long time to, to get good. And people are just like grinding harder than you are. Um, and like for, and like forsaking their school stuff to do it. Um, okay. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> so there's a question that I might scrap this question, but I kind of like keeping it cause, um, it gets some pretty interesting responses. I call it the one, the five and the 25. So okay. essentially the idea is what would you like to be doing? Where do you see yourself a year from now, five years from now, 25 years from now? Oh gosh. Um, okay, so I got married this summer, and we're actually expecting a baby in May. Wow! Double congratulations. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, I think so. My thinking behind this is that um, I'm into site reliability engineering. I'm into manufacturing engineering, and it's gonna take me a really long time to get really good at these things, like to the level that I want to be, to the level that um, you're like a senior engineer and you can really pick and choose the impact that you want to make and what projects you want to work for. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm hoping that like while I raise kids, I can like build the skills. And then I have a few people at work who are like, you know, their kids are maybe seven years younger than me. So they're like almost my parents' age. Um, and they're like, they're amazing engineers and they're still being super productive and they're like, they know so much and they're so, um, so good at what they do. So I'm like, okay, like they had kids when they were my age and like, they're still working and they're still productive and their mm -hmm. kids are like old enough to take care of themselves so mm -hmm. um, I think it'll be good for me to have kids now and then slowly build up my skills as I go along mm -hmm. um, and then really have the impact that I want like when my kids are old enough to take care of themselves. Awesome. Uh, there's a question that I found recently from the Gary Vaynerchuk, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk YouTube, YouTube channel and it's like the question is what are you currently obsessed with? So this can be anything like it can be uh, podcast it can be a new book a YouTube channel an Instagram account a new restaurant activity anything what yeah. are you currently obsessed with um, so a bit of context I, I mentioned that I have this manufacturer engineering job um, and it actually pays money so I've like I've, I'm like not negative on my projects now <laughs> in terms of money um, but I got it because I was working on this grow bucket project and so somebody introduced me to Kevin who's the CEO of this company that I work for because they do aquaponics and hydroponics kits um, I, uh, I was joining their engineering meetings for a few months mm -hmm. and um, he invited me to go to China with him for two weeks and I was, I like, I like asked my manager like, please, please get to go, can I take some time off work? Um, and I did and I like was at their factories and it was so cool, I was like helping out um, with developing their products pretty much and like helping put them to production um, and get the production ready. So uh, I'm, and then he hired me after that. So I'm working there part-time and so I'm, I've been thinking a lot about products. And so one, one product that uh, Robin, my husband, bought this year that I really love is, it's really simple. It's a device that cooks eggs. Cooks um, eggs, okay. Yeah, yeah. So you plug it in, there's like only one button, it's a power button. Um, and then there's like this little cup where you can measure if you want soft boiled eggs, you put in a little bit less water. If you want hard boiled eggs, you put in some more water. Um, and then it 
there's like a little plastic thing that you, you put the eggs on, it goes up to six eggs. Um, you have to, there's also a, a tool where you poke a hole in the egg so it doesn't explode. Um, what, is the, what is the name of this tool? Up, it like gangs the timer and then your eggs are done and they're perfect. <laughs> they're like exactly what you wanted every time and it's like so low effort. And so that's, that's been a real inspiration for me is like this is, this, like if you eat eggs like every day, every other day, like this is huge. You're mm -hmm. saving so much time, so much effort, so much like mental energy of like thinking about cooking. Um, and it's like one product that does like one thing really, really well. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I want to like, I want to, that's like something I should do. Like if, if we have a product, I have to figure out like, what is this solving? Mm -hmm. And then make sure that it does that really well. Mm -hmm. And like everything else is extraneous. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, what is the name of this product? Uh, I don't know. I have, I have it. Let me go look. Oh, wait. Actually, Ruth. Yeah? It's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll ask you after the interview, and then I'll just put in the, the link in the description for the video. If you search up egg cooker on Amazon, mm -hmm. find it. Yeah, I'll ask you for the thing after the interview, and I'll just put it there. And, like, when I edit the video, I'll put it all together, and it'll all make sense. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay. Um, so, second last question is, the question is, like, sort of, like, general life advice, and then... So to sort of give some context before you answer this question, you mentioned you mentioned something very very interesting about working in a hospice, and I know there was an article that went viral a while back about the nurse who said she interviewed a bunch of people and asked them, you know, like, do you have any regrets? Like, any fun? Like, what have you like in the final stages of their life, like on their deathbeds, what have they learned? Again, your answer doesn't have to be that deep, or it doesn't have to be like that like profound. But like, any general life advice you have, or career advice you have, or anything you want to tell people, what would you say? like to not regret your life <laughs> no like that's what i'm saying so like maybe based on like your journey so far like what are some of the biggest lessons lessons learned mm. i don't know i guess just like try not to worry so much <laughs> yeah nice very well i'm in a very privileged position because i have a job that like pays the bills mm -hmm. and so i can and, and the job is like 40 hours a week so i can spend my spare time doing whatever mm -hmm. So when you when you are in that position, if you like are in school and you have like student loans and you're gonna be okay, like don't like don't worry so much. Spend your time like furthering whatever you find interesting. Like it's it's always worth it to try new things, mm -hmm. um, just in case you find something that is like your place in the world. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So if someone found any of the things you said very interesting, they want to reach out to you and talk to you a bit more. Um, how can they find you? Right. You can also find her on LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn is probably the safest route because it's the most public facing and it's the least creepy. So, yeah, I don't check it super often, but if you Google Ruth Grace Long and you find my contact info, then we can reach out. Awesome. <laughs> Ruth, thank you very much for your time. Yeah, no problem. Yeah.